0: Philippians chapter 3 this morning, we begin reading in verse number 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for this chapter in Philippians, which is just brimming with wonderful passages. I pray today that you'll speak to our hearts from this section. I pray you'll speak to my heart. I thank you for the way you've spoken to my heart in the study, and I pray, Lord, you would speak to my heart even now as as uh, the word goes forth. Help me to preach your word. Help me to preach it rightly and accurately and practically and clearly. Help me, Lord, to say what I should. Lord, protect me from saying anything I should not. And give us all, Lord, ears to hear this day. Uh, The word of God requires response, and I pray that all of us this day would commit right now in our hearts before you that we would respond as you would have us to. Give us open hearts, open minds, and help us, Lord, uh, think through these things, and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. In our last study, we left off at verse number 11. We didn't really talk about verse number 11, but we need to go back there now because Paul's words in verses 12 and following are directly related. He spoke in verse number 11 of attaining the resurrection from the dead, and uh, one of the reasons we left off there is because I wasn't quite sure what that meant, and so I wanted to think about it a little bit, but what, what, what did he mean there? He wanted to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, I just don't believe that he could have been talking about salvation there, uh, because if there was ever a man who lived on the face of the earth who was sure of his salvation, secure in his salvation, it would have been the Apostle Paul. And So, no, he was not talking about salvation there. He was talking about maturity. He was talking about Christ-likeness. He was talking about the finish line of his Christian race. One source that I consulted mentioned the fact that the word used for resurrection in that verse is slightly different than the word used for resurrection in other places in our New Testament. As a result, this person thought that it's quite possible, very possible, that the Apostle Paul was really talking there about the rapture. The word that is used there could be interpreted in that way. and seems to indicate that. In any case, he was not speaking of a desire to be saved, but rather of a desire to make it successfully to the end of his Christian race, to finish well. That's what he was looking for, to be running flat out for Jesus when he finally heard that trumpet sound. That being the case, we can see that his words in verses 12 through 21 don't pertain to this desire to be saved because he was already saved. Rather, to his desire to live for Jesus, to the very best of his ability, now that he was saved. And that zeal, that desire that was so much a part of him and so evident in his life, he was setting forth here as an example to you and to me. In this study, I really just want to concentrate on three verses. The first three, verses 12 through 14. We'll look at the rest next week, Lord willing. But from those three verses, I think we can learn some things. We can learn that Paul knew he hadn't reached that finish line yet. Uh, We can see there that Paul was not satisfied with where he was in the race. We can see there that he was motivated and driven on in his race by two things. We'll talk about both of them. The call of God on his life and the prize that awaited him. And finally, we can see that he ran with a single-minded focus the goal. Line. Let's look at those four things. First of all, Paul knew that he was not there yet. Verse number 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Now, Paul had been saved for probably 30 years when he wrote this letter, but he knew that his sanctification was still a work in process. He had seen some amazing highs in his Christian life, some great victories in his walk with Christ, but those were not stopping points. He knew he hadn't arrived yet. He had suffered some withering trials and difficulties. But neither were those stopping points. He was not done with the race yet. Some years after this, he was going to write another letter. He would write that he was coming to the end of that race when he wrote to Timothy. The last letter that we have, recorded letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, is the book of 2 Timothy in our New Testament. And there in 2 Timothy four 4.7, he said... I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So there would come a day when he knew that he was done running. But it was not today. At this particular point, as he's riding to the Philippians, he was still in the midst of that race, and he knew it was not over yet. Nearly every parent has probably experienced the joy of the child in the back seat on a long car journey, who is incessantly saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When I want to torture my wife, I do this to her when she is driving. Are we there yet? Paul was not there yet, and he knew he was not there yet. And not only did he know that he had not yet arrived at the end of the race, he also was not satisfied with where he was in the race. And I think that's maybe even more interesting. Paul knew there was more to be done for Jesus And not only did he know there was more to be done for Jesus, he wanted to do more for Jesus. He was not satisfied. Whatever he had accomplished or whatever level of Christ-likeness he had attained, it was not sufficient in his mind. There was always another stride to take in the race. There was still work to be done for Jesus. There was more of the race to run, and he wanted it. I think that's important. Paul harbored what one person described as a holy dissatisfaction with his Christian race. And oh, how we need that. A holy dissatisfaction. Thomas Edison once said that restlessness and discontent are the first necessities of progress. He just wasn't satisfied. And neither should we be. Oliver Wendell Holmes was uh, considered one of the greatest justices in the history of the United States, justices of the Supreme Court. I don't know if he still considered that or not, but he he certainly was. He was known by some as the great dissenter because he disagreed with nearly everything the other justices ever said. Holmes sat on the court until he was 91 years old, and two years after that, when he was 93, he was visited by President FDR Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And when Roosevelt walked into the room, he found Holmes sitting there, 93 years old, reading Plato. And so FDR just kind of, you know, chuckling, says, what What will you do? Why are you reading Plato? And Holmes, 93 years old, said, to improve my mind. He was never satisfied. That was Paul. Never enough. More. And we need to be like him. We should ever be wanting to do more for Jesus, ever longing to serve him better, ever wanting to run harder to witness more faithfully. We need to learn from Paul and never be satisfied. Because when we get satisfied, you know what happens? We stop focusing on the goal. When we get satisfied, we slow our run. We may even drop out of the race thinking we've done all that we wanted to do satisfaction is a good thing. One man noted the road to success is dotted with many tempting parking spaces. And the Apostle Paul was not interested in parking. He didn't want to rest. He didn't want to think that his service for Christ was enough. He wanted more. More. Now, Paul was using athletic imagery here. He's He did that a lot. I think Paul was a sports fanatic. But uh, he, he seems to have... I've been using here the image of a race, and he was the runner in that race. And he said here that there were two things that motivated him and drove him forward in that race. Both, Both of these things can be seen in verse number 14. He said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I see two different things mentioned there that motivated him. One was the call, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and the other was the prize The call and the prize drove him on. Think about the call, first of all. He'd also mentioned this in verse number 12, where at the end of that verse, he said, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The Apostle Paul remembered a day. He remembered a day when Christ laid hold of him. And he was on the Damascus Road. You remember that day. We've read about it many, many times. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul had perhaps the most stunning and interesting salvation experience that any Christian has ever had. He was heading for Damascus to persecute Christians, to try his very best to destroy the little baby church before it even really got going. And while he was on his way, he came face to face with the Jesus that he was persecuting. And as he lay there looking up into Jesus' face, he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? You see, he remembered that day. He remembered that the Lord Jesus Christ actually laid hold of him. He remembered the day. And he never got over it. And it drove him on. What Jesus had done for him drove him on. One of the most important things in our walk with Christ is the day he laid hold of us. Do you remember it? Do you remember the day that Jesus Christ got hold of you as Paul did? Can you say, as the songwriter said, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in? And does it drive you forward? Does it help you in your walk with Christ? Can you say, as another songwriter said, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart? You see, Paul remembered that day. He remembered that day that the Lord Jesus laid hold of him, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he was keenly aware that he was Christ's and Christ was his. And that awareness fueled his passion to run and not stop running the race. The other thing that drove him on was the prize. He mentions the prize, and I have, to, I have to wonder what it was. What was the prize he was talking about there? There are a couple of possibilities. One, it is possible that he was referring to the rewards Christians can look forward to at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, there is that day when all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to receive the rewards for the things done in service for the king. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so maybe Paul was talking about that. He was thinking about that prize. But his words in verses 20 and 21 seem to talk about something else. And we'll we'll see that more if we get there next week. But his words there seem to indicate he was focusing not so much on those rewards, but on just meeting Jesus himself. That was the ultimate prize, just meeting Jesus. As the songwriter said, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials, no matter what they've been, will be so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. The Apostle Paul could have wrote those words. It's exactly what he's talking about here. What greater prize could there be? And what greater encouragement to keep running the race than that day we're going to see Jesus. And so he said two things drove him on. His call, his uh, being laid hold of by Jesus Christ, and the prize that awaited him on the finish line. And he ran with a single mind to reach that goal successfully. So Paul Paul ran with a single-minded Focus. Look at verses 13 and 14. I don't think you're going to find a place where that particular aspect of this is is more clearly described in verses 13 and 14, brethren. I do not count myself to to have apprehended, but one thing I do: forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This describes the single-mindedness of the Apostle Paul in running his race better than anything I can think of. One thing I do. Warren Wiersbe wrote about that so well that I just want to, I I can't improve on his words, and I want to read something that Warren Wiersbe wrote about this. One thing I do. He said, One thing is a phrase that is important to the Christian life. One thing thou lackest, said Jesus to the self-righteous rich young ruler. One thing is needful. He explained to busy Martha when she criticized her sister. One thing I know, exclaimed the man who had received his sight by the power of Christ. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, testified the psalmist. Too many Christians are too involved in many things when the secret of progress is to concentrate on one thing. It was this decision that was a turning point in D.L. Moody's life. Before the tragedy of the Chicago fire in 1871, Mr. Moody was involved in all kinds of things. Sunday school promotion, YMCA work, evangelistic meetings, many other activities. But after the fire, he determined to devote himself exclusively to evangelism. This one thing I do became a reality to him. And as a result, millions of people heard the gospel. Wiersbe goes on, he says, the believer must devote himself to running the Christian race. No athlete succeeds by doing everything. He succeeds by specializing. There are those few athletes who seem proficient in many sports, but they are the exception. The winners are those who concentrate, who keep their eyes on the goal and let nothing distract them. They are devoted entirely to their calling. Like Nehemiah, the wall-building governor, they reply to the distracting invitations, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Concentration is the secret of power. If a river is allowed to overflow its banks, the area around it becomes a swamp. But if that river is dammed and controlled, it becomes a source of power. It is wholly a matter of values and priorities, living for that which matters most. That was Paul's focus. One thing I do. I run with a single mind, driven on by what Christ has done for me and by the prize that awaits. One thing I do. I don't let the trials or failures in the past trip me up. I don't consider any past successes as stopping points. One thing I do. I press on. I push ahead. I reach forward. I keep running. One thing I do. Paul used an interesting word in verse number 13. Actually, a couple couple of different words there. He, 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 he used the phrase reaching forward in verse 13. And in verse 14, he used the phrase I press. And they're both interesting because they're, they're kind of strong language. He was picturing a runner coming to the finish line and leaning into that finish line, straining to be the first one to break the tape. You can just picture a runner with his chest post out and trying to be the first one to break the tape. That's what he's describing right there, straining every bit of his body forward. This will surprise you. I know it will. I'm not much of an athlete. This will surprise you, I know. I know you can't believe it. But there have been times in my life where I actually tried to be a little bit of an athlete. My successes were few and my failures were many. But I've tried. And I think I've told you the story of my high school track career. It was a wonderful thing. It should should probably have been on ESPN highlights or something like that. It was was so great. I decided in high school to go out for track. I was terrible at everything. And so the coach put me into the 220 relay and he thought anybody ought to be able to run halfway around the track and hand a baton to somebody else. And actually I wasn't terrible at that. I did okay at it. And we, we had a fairly decent team. But I remember one particular time, which I've shared with you before, that was very memorable. I was uh, running one, ankle, one of the legs of the, of the 220, and I received a baton from the guy behind me, and it was a nice, clean exchange. Everything was beautiful, and I took off running. And for some reason, this particular day, I just felt really good. And I thought to myself, I'm really going to run today like I've never run before. And I took off running like an absolute maniac and running as hard as I could run, which was a mistake because after about 150 yards, I had nothing left. And uh, I can still remember that last 70 yards or so. It was horrendous. My legs were rubber. I was just floating across the ground. By the time I finally got to the end and my, my uh, the next guy was standing there with his arm outstretched waiting for me to get that baton to him, I didn't think I was ever going to get there. I mean, I was staggering and and falling and doing everything, and I finally managed. I, I literally was falling as I placed the baton into his hand. He took off. I have no idea what happened with the rest of the race. I just remember that I collapsed and laid there embarrassed, and it was a terrible thing. It was not a good thing, but I wonder sometimes, was it an illustration of what Paul's talking about here? Running flat out, absolutely flat out. Uh, I don't know if it's a good illustration or not. There are better illustrations than that. Paul was describing, uh, you know, an athletic endeavor here that I think there are all kinds of illustrations that would be better than mine. Have you seen the movie Overcomer, for example? How many of you have seen the movie Overcomer? Highly recommend it, and I'm not going to spoil it for you right now, but I encourage you to see it. If you do see it, I will say this. You will find out at the end of that movie uh, uh, what it means to reach forward and press toward the goal in the race. I wonder where we are in relation to these things. How are you doing in your race? Can you say with Paul, one thing I do? Are you running your race with anywhere near that kind of focus? You see, I'm convinced that many Christians, maybe most Christians, really need to consider these verses carefully. And I'm including myself in that. I think some Christians have grown cold in their faith have slowed down, maybe even stopped in their race. I think some have become apathetic in their race. They might still be running a bit, but they just really don't seem to care about the outcome. I think some Christians have lost their vision. They can't really even see the goal line anymore. I think for some, the goal line has become so obscured by the many distractions that draw their attention that they can't see it. I think all such should read these verses. I think all such should pray for help in living these verses. You see, we all need to learn to forget those things which are behind. Paul wasn't talking about forgetting everything in our past. He's already talked about the fact that the one glorious thing in his past drove him forward. That was his salvation experience. He wasn't talking about that. He was saying there were some things we should forget, though. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit. For the kingdom of God, you will never, ever, ever plow a straight furrow looking backwards. Anybody who's a farmer will know that. You'll never run a successful race looking around you at the opposition. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife in Luke chapter 17 and verse 32. Why should we remember Lot's wife? Because that's exactly what she did. She looked back. She couldn't get her eyes off of where she had come from and and what she had known and and what she was giving up in Sodom, and she died for it. Paul wrote of another who looked back. He said in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed. Demas had run well. Demas had been a faithful partner alongside Paul until he looked back and was distracted by the world he'd left behind. The sidelines of the race are littered with those who have looked back and fallen out of the race. Don't be one of them. Forget those things which are behind. Forget the sins of the past. God has forgotten them, Christian. You can forget them. Forget the failures of the past. Forget the successes of the past. Don't let anything in the past distract you from the race. Eyes front. Moving forward. Don't look back. And that last thing is something that we also need to remember. He he not only uh, ignored what was behind him, he he also looked forward, pressed forward, reached forward. There are some verses of Scripture that have been burned into my brain for the last few years of my life. There's a part of me that would like to apologize to you because I quote them so often. But I'm not going to do that. You know, I think if the Lord lays something on my heart that I should share with you, I I should share it with you. And this is just something that he constantly brings to my mind. It informs everything we do here at Friendship Bible Church. This verse is one that I never seem to get out of my mind. It's Exodus chapter 14, verse number 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel, go forward. And, of course, you know what was going on there. They were encamped against the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was advancing. They were out of their mind with terror. They had nowhere to go. And God said to them, turn toward the sea and go forward. Despite the obvious problem that the sea was full of water, go forward. You know, that is what informs so much of what we do here at Friendship Church. It's just why we've had two building programs. It's why we're praying about a third. That verse, and the things that Paul says here also tell me the same thing, that we should never be stuck. We should never be static as Christians. We should never be standing still. And we should certainly never be moving backwards. Always and ever moving forward. No matter what has happened in the past. Paul said, move forward. No matter what apparent hardships lie in the path, go forward. It matters not what you even think impossible. Go forward. That's what Paul's talking about here. Somebody once asked David Livingston, when he was back in England, just briefly on a break, he had worked in Africa for many years, and this person asked him, Dr. Livingston, where are you ready to go to now? And Livingston replied, I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. The writer of the Hebrews said something similar. He said, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Let us go on. And that's what Paul was saying here. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ There was a general by the name of Gordon. He was referred to as Chinese Gordon. For some reason, I don't know why he had that nickname. But General Chinese Gordon was leading his forces in Sudan, and he assigned one of his officers the task of uh, taking a particularly strong fortress. And after days of, of hardship and conflict, that officer finally returned to headquarters. He galloped into camp. He brought his horse Up before General Gordon, he saluted him and he announced, General, I have taken the fort. And General Gordon looked at him and said very calmly, Go take another. Go take another. See, that's the Christian race. That's the Christian race. We don't get stopped by what has already occurred. We just keep running. We just keep conquering. We just keep pressing forward until we get to the finish line. Sister Darcy talked me into reading a book. It's a a C.S. Lewis book called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody ever read The Screwtape Letters? The Screwtape Letters take a little explanation before I read you a quote from them. They are, it's a fictional book, and it is, C.S. Lewis has written a bunch of letters in here which are purportedly from a person named Screwtape, who is the devil, to one of his underlings, an underdemon named Wormwood. So Screwtape. Is talking to Wormwood. And Screwtape is telling Wormwood how he can defeat a particular Christian who has been assigned to him. Take him out of the race. And so all of this book is about that. And I came to this particular quote, what Screwtape said to Wormwood. He said, do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause, and by our cause he meant taking that Christian out of the race. He said, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. That's the Christian race. That's the Christian race. We don't get stopped by complacency or dryness in our walk with Christ. Even times where we can't seem to see any reason to keep on running, we don't stop. Even on those days where it seems that every trace of Jesus seems to have vanished. And you will have such days. Even on those days where it really and truly feels like we have been forsaken. And you will have those days. We run on we run on. We take our eyes off those things. We fix it again firmly and resolutely on the goal. And we run on. That's what Paul's describing. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers. Sisters, how goes your race?